It's a writer's duel. Who can quick draw the scarier story? And what does the winner get? Respect, my friend. Respect. You're listening to Eddie B's Horror Show. Welcome back, guys and gals, to Eddie V's Horror Show. This is episode number 13, lucky number 13, and I'm your host and favorite horror author, Edward Villanova. Well, I say I'm your favorite horror author, however true or untrue that may have been in the past, that may change after today because our friend and recurring guest, Violet Church, will be joining us here shortly. We're going to have a few drinks, talk about some spooky stuff, and then we're each going to write the scariest short story we can think of. Violet knows what's going on here. We both promised not to think up too much ahead of time. No trunk stories, no unwritten stories we've had rattling around in our heads for a while or anything like that. No, completely off the cuff, or as off the cuff as something like this can be, uh, we're coming up with the concept and complete story arc on the spot. We've decided on no hard time limit, but as soon as one of us finishes their story, the other one has no more than five minutes to completely wrap theirs up as well. So we'll be getting to that very shortly here, but in the meantime, uh, while I'm waiting for Violet, I'm going to take some time to enthuse and shamelessly self-promote. You all know how much I like to talk about myself, and this is one of the best times to talk about me, right after I've done something awesome. (laughs) So if you've been listening to previous episodes up until now, uh, you already know that I wrote a short story for Thieker's Quarterly Fiction, uh, really for their annual anthology, Unsplatterpunk, and uh, this is their fourth installment of the anthology, Unsplatterpunk number four. And it doubles as issue number 69 of Thinker's Quarterly Fiction. That's right. 69. Nice. <laughs> anyway, it's finally here. A big thanks to Stephen Thinker and to Douglas Ogurek for putting this thing together. If you're unfamiliar with the concept of Splatterpunk, it's horror or horror-adjacent fiction that features super gory, uh, bloody, disturbing imagery, and often taboo topics. So the guys over at Thinkers decided to put this uh, anthology together uh, of splatterpunk stories, but it's not just splatterpunk. There has to be a moral to the story, which is super out of context for splatterpunk. This genre usually features nihilism as a central theme, that nothing really matters or means anything, which is why, while shocking, watching someone get eviscerated is basically just a meaningless thing that happened. The flesh and bones and connective tissue and vascular system and proteins and molecules and atoms and quarks that once held a thing together are now ripped to shreds. Who cares? Does it matter that that thing was once a functioning meat machine that we commonly refer to as a human? No, because humans don't matter. Because nothing matters. There's no God, there's no morality, law is a construct, time is an illusion, meat machines are full of red goop that's fun to fling at other meat machines you don't like very much. That's Splatterpunk. So for Unsplatterpunk to turn that on its head and promote an idea or a concept that is uplifting, uh, something for for the betterment of mankind, while still fully embracing the savagery and brutality of what we call classical splatterpunk, or that's the term I'm going to use anyway, uh, it's it's shocking and thought-provoking, and it's a, a fascinating contrast. 
it ends up giving the writer the ability to give the moral of their story a real punch that lighter fiction can't really convey. Not in the same way, at least. I'm a huge fan of this idea, of this concept, and I was thrilled to be part of this year's anthology. You can find Unsplatterpunk number 4 for sale on Amazon. It is dirt cheap at 99 cents for a digital copy, and it's like 4 or 5 bucks for a paperback. Or you can also download it directly from Theaker's Quarterly Fiction. I'll put links in the show notes. Heed these words. It is not for the faint of heart. My story and the other stories featured in this anthology are very shocking and disturbing, and they aren't for everyone. I would say read the foreword on Amazon before you dive in, just so you get an idea of what you're in for. Um, the cover art for this installment of Unsplatterpunk also was designed and crafted by me. Uh, I did the artwork for this issue by recreating Francisco Goya's infamous painting, Saturn Devouring His Son, a piece that is disturbing in and of itself, that has sort of been adopted as a way to depict something being ruined. If you look on my Facebook page or on the Eddie V's Horror Show Facebook page, I'll put up some examples of how Goya's painting has been used in the past. But some notable uses are the depiction of Mickey Mouse as Saturn, and he's devouring Darth Vader. Uh, this is a way of sort of criticizing Disney for completely gutting the Star Wars universe canon and giving us three of the stupidest, most nonsensical, half-baked excuses for movies to close the main Star Wars storyline out with. That's my opinion, of course. Another example features Hillary Clinton as the stand-in for Saturn and Bernie Sanders in place of the sun. And you all know how much I hate talking politics, but it's in reference to how Bernie Sanders was the favorite Democratic candidate for the 2016 U.S. presidential primaries. But the Democrats sunk his campaign because, for whatever reason, they thought Clinton was a stronger candidate. Anyway, my apologies to my listeners outside the U.S. who are shit sick of hearing about American politics. Hell, I'm sorry to my American listeners who are sick of hearing about American politics. <laughs> I really wanted to make this podcast and all of my work really kind of a, a bastion against the never-ending assault of political babble that has seemed to permeate everything. Anyway, <clears throat> so yeah, I, I used my own rendition of Goya's painting, giving Saturn a punk makeover, and he's, uh, he's devouring another figure in punk gear wearing an anarchy shirt. And Saturn has hope tattooed across his knuckles to represent light consuming darkness, a rejection of the nihilistic themes common to Splatterpunk. Douglas Ogurek at Theakers also commented on the green liberty spiked mohawk I gave Saturn as resembling grass, which is sort of a symbol of life, so that would also represent life conquering death or the value of life overpowering the theme of death in classical splatterpunk which i didn't really think of when i painted it but hell i dig that take on it too anyway go grab a copy and appreciate my cover art and then read my story the recycling revolution which is the second story featured in the anthology all right it looks like violet church is here so we're gonna dive into the write-off here in a minute my drink of choice today is the only fitting drink for rapid-fire creativity, in my opinion. The good old green fairy in a bottle, Absinthe. It worked for Hemingway and Poe, so who am I to argue with success, right? <laughs> 
All right, we're going to knock a few back, get to writing, and I'll be back with Violet Church after the break so you can hear our stories. I'm here with Violet Church, and we have decided to uh, each write a little piece of flash fiction, just on the fly, no no planning out, no rewrites, no just uh, one go, and then uh, read it to each other. Both of our stories are about... 1,500 words, would you say? Very short, flash fiction size. And we decided to read them to each other, and we're gonna decide whose was best. And uh, if you wanna chime in afterward, let us know who you think won this little write-off, please feel free to do so. edwardvillanova.com slash contact. First, we are going to listen to- Or on to, Facebook. Or on Facebook, yes. Uh, either my personal Edward Villanova Facebook page or the show's page. Eddie V's Horror Show. So we're going to go ahead and start with yours. Does yours have a title? I didn't title it. I titled it in Google Docs, Short Story Contest. Ah. <laughs> we might come up with titles later. But, or maybe these will be throwaway stories, who knows. But anyway. All right. Mine's good. I don't know about yours. So. Uh, I like to think mine's good, but we'll see. Uh, you're going to go first. And uh, would you like to take the opportunity right now to just bullshit a title for us oh man I feel put on the spot uh I guess maybe during the code during the code yeah so during the code by okay. Violet Church okay are we ready yes I stretched my hands out to feel his side of the bed and it was warm gathering his pillow up to snuggle in I took a deep breath so I could smell his musky aftershave Several minutes slipped by as I drifted in and out of sleep, waiting for my alarm or his gentle voice calling me to full consciousness. Beep, 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 the alarm. So much for easing into the day. I struggled upright in bed, my eyes still stubbornly closed, feeling for my phone to shut the alarm off. Beep, 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 beep. Where did I put my phone? Did he move it so I would have no choice to get up out of bed to shut my alarm off? I know I'm a heavy sleeper, but that seems so cruel. Even though it feels like a Herculean effort, I throw off the covers and swung my feet over the side of the bed. As I stood, I opened my eyes and blinked. Where am I? Beep, 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 beep. The alarm bell is boring into my brain, but I can't even make a move to find my phone. I don't recognize this room. Baby? I called out. No answer. Beyond the alarm bell, it was silent. The kind of silence that you instinctively understand means that you're alone. There was no one else in the house. Dumbfounded, I sat back down on the bed. I knew he was here. The bed was still warm when I woke up. I could smell him. I, I remember going to bed with him last night. Right? I look at my hands. I expected to see my wedding band. Nothing but a tan line. I look on the unfamiliar nightstand. Nothing. What is happening? Where is he? I stand up, determined to search the bed and the house. I know that ring is here. I know that he is here. Or there is something here that will help me figure out what is going on. As I lean over the bed to pull back the white duvet, drops of blood start falling from my nose. Straining, really. Head tipped back, nose pinched to try and stem the flow of blood. I realize I still haven't shut that alarm bell off. Beep, 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 beep. My vision goes dark. I hit the floor. That alarm bell still beeping. Beep, beep. I jerked awake at the sound of the front doorbell. 
How embarrassing. I fell asleep at my desk. Worse, I had a horrible nightmare and I won't even have time to process it before I have to talk to whoever came in. I quickly patted my hair. I grabbed a tissue to wipe my face. I I couldn't shake that idea of that awful bloody nose. There was blood everywhere. The front door was still beeping. Beep, beep. Either a whole herd of people were coming in or someone was holding the door open despite that annoying sound. Why couldn't it be a flashing light? Do we really need something that persistent and annoying? Thinking about the alarm bell, I absentmindedly blew my nose as I got up from my desk. I need to go figure out what is going on at the front. Walking around will do me some good. I glanced at the tissue before throwing it out. It was bloody. That is not the first time I had a bloody nose after waking. Should I see someone about that? Before I could dwell on it further, I hurried toward the front to help the customer. The alarm was still beeping. No one else had bothered to get up and see what the fuss was about. I rounded the corner to the front entry of the office and the front door was closed. What the heck? I can still hear the door alarm bell. Beep, beep. The receptionist is sitting at her desk. I don't know what my face looks like, but she seems politely confused. Are you expecting someone today? She asked politely. Before I can even begin to formulate an answer, she went on. I thought you'd taken a leave of absence. I haven't seen you in forever. She didn't even acknowledge the door alarm bell. Beep, beep. Have I not been coming to work? For how long? Why don't I remember taking leave? She stands, a look of concern on her face. Let me find our tissues. You're bleeding. Automatically, I put my hand to my face. Sure enough, my nose is bleeding. I look down and there's blood all over my white dress shirt. The door alarm is beeping. Beep. Why am I bleeding? Beep. I can't remember taking leave. Beep. The receptionist scream as I slump to the floor sounds no different to my ears than the door alarm. Beep. Did I just fall asleep in the shower long enough to dream? The water is still hot and it still feels good on my stiff neck and shoulders. I'm just going to stand here for one more minute before I let reality push its way back in. Beep. 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 Ugh. What is that sound? I can see my phone on the bathroom counter. It isn't an alarm on my phone. Is it something on the computer? Did I set myself a timer? Babe, are you still here? Beep, beep, beep. No answer but the alarm or the timer or whatever it is. He must be gone for the day. I guess I just have to shower with that annoying sound. I flip open my fancy shampoo and inhale the soothing aroma as it fills the shower. I can't enjoy it anymore since I have some sort of timer going off. I reach up to lather my hair. Something feels wrong. How long has my hair been this thin? Beep, beep, beep. My fingers work the shampoo into my hair as gently as possible, but my hands are full of hair when I bring them to the water to rinse them off. I put my head under the shower and I can feel wads of hair sliding down my soapy back into the water. Honestly, I'm afraid to touch my head. How can I have lost this much hair and not remember it? Beep, beep, beep. There are great bald patches on my head. I'm going to throw up. Is something wrong with me? Am I sick? The massive amount of hair that has fallen from my head is clogging the drain. The tub is starting to fill with water. As the water creeps over my ankles, I stare numbly at the hair, my mind desperately trying to remember what is happening. Beep, beep, beep. Before I'm even conscious of moving my hands, I'm pinching my nose. The water is tinged pink with blood from my nose. I knew it was coming. How did I know it was coming? If that freaking beeping sound would stop for just one second. Beep, beep, beep. My vision darkens at the edges. I'm panicking, grasping for a shred of memory. I'm going to pass out and drown in this tub. Beep, beep, beep. I can't breathe. There's so much pressure. I'm deep, deep underwater. 
My white nightgown balloons around me as I struggle to find the surface. Beep, beep, beep. I know what is coming. My hands look like bleach bones underwater as I try to swim for air. I have to remember. Flecks of blood bloom brilliantly on my nightgown. Beep, beep, beep. My vision darkens at the edges. Just your name. Your name. Your name. Beep, beep, beep. This is not real. I'm soaked. My long nightgown is sticking to my legs, making it hard to walk. My bare feet slap the concrete floor as I walk in this underground hallway. It curves at the end into darkness. Every few steps, the lights flicker as if I'm in a thunderstorm. Along the sides of the hallway are floor-to-ceiling stacks of file boxes. This is not real. I feel real. It's cold, and I'm wet and shivering. My fingers are purplish-blue from the cold. What am I doing here? Beep. That alarm bell. I know that alarm bell. I have to remember. I keep walking. Beep. A file box is dumped out in the hall in my path. At first glance, all the pages are blank. I pluck several from the mess of papers on the floor to find that they had been painted over in white. I could see the shadow of words. My heart squeezed. I might be too late. Beep. This is real. My cold feet stumble down the hallway. As quickly as I can, I wrench open boxes, desperately looking for untainted pages. Box after box is filled with deathly white pages. Some are flecked with blood. Beep. This is real. My nose is bleeding freely. I'm asking no questions. I'm searching. I'm getting close. My hair may be falling out. Beep. I am real. My hair is falling out. It might be more than hair. I can't stop to look, but I think there are pieces of me coming off. Thank goodness it's so cold. I guess I can't feel any pain. Beep. I am real. I caught sight of some words. I'm getting closer. All the skin is peeled off my fingers, but I'm going to find it. The more that falls off, the faster I can search. I'm so close. Beep. Call it. There isn't any more we can do. Time of death, 0354. Okay, good story. You gonna give me some initial thoughts? I like the use of the beeps to give the idea that something, there's something amiss, there's something going wrong. I also liked how it really felt like a dream. I don't know, I mean, I guess you probably have this too since you wrote it, but I have a lot of dreams where I'm, I'm looking for something. I don't always necessarily know what it is. Yeah, I, get, I mean, I have lots of dreams, and so there are definitely influences from my dreams, from some dreams that I have, like, recurrent dreams, so there's definitely some of that put into the story, for sure. Okay, cool. I know that, you know, we wrote these on the fly and didn't really think about them, so, like, is this anything that you have thought about writing before or anything along these lines before? Well, as you know, I don't know if the people listening know, I'm an academic writer. Well, right, but you, but, have, you have written fiction before, though. But, um, I mean, like, this is, so it's, it's sort of like the whole adage about writing, write what you know. And so I tried to think about what you said was the best horror stories are about something that you are actually, you know, the writer is actually afraid of. Yeah. And I've actually heard Stephen King say something similar to that. But, so that's kind of what I did. So that's what, that was, that was my thought, is that something that I, that, that scares me. Yeah, that's kind of where, like, the title comes from, I guess, yeah. after the code. So, like, what my thought process was, 
I'm almost a medical professional. I'm in school, y'all. But um, so learning to run a code on someone, like, you know, their heart stopping or a rhythm that's not compatible for life or whatever. And like, what kind of, I always wonder, like, what goes on in your brain right then, like the last seconds, minutes before you die, or like right, right after you die, or like, I mean, you know, I just like, what is, what's happening in your brain like what it what are the you we know like what the death throes are as far as like physically what your body goes through I mean, even somewhat like physically what your brain goes through but like what is happening in there like spiritually or whatever it is like your soul right. what's going on what's the death throes look like and so this is kind of that's what this story is yeah and i, I like that too because that sort of um it sorry up. my chair's loud that's <laughs> okay so one of the things we talk about a lot on this podcast is the whole fear of the unknown. And obviously your story starts out very mysterious and stays pretty mysterious until the, I mean, literally the ending line is the reveal. Yeah, those last two lines. Yeah. I mean, I guess really even the, even the last line, because it, you know. That's like if you've watched any kind of medical show, that's like they right, call yeah. that time of death or whatever. But on top of that, yeah, usually with a reveal comes some relief, like at least now you know what's going on. But it, it opens things up to a, a whole new fear of the unknown, the fear of death that you know that we all we all feel and we all fear to some extent, uh, no matter what anybody tells you. <laughs> yeah, I guess there's really no like there's no resolution for. Like, I guess, the lady in the story. Right. There's a, a resolution for the story itself, not for the character. Right. There's so, a definitive resolution. You know, yeah, that's that's true. And I I kind of, I don't know if I did that on purpose. I'd like to say I did that on purpose. You guys <laughs> could think that I'm super awesome. But I don't know that I did that on purpose. But, you know, really, literally, after we call that time of death, like, we, we know what happens in the hospital. Like, I know what would happen to that person. Yeah, in you know, in the hospital, you know, in the emergency room, the whatever. Corpse, but what right, but person. like, what happens to the person? Like, I don't, ha- I mean, I don't know. I don't have a, I don't have a way to know definitively. Like, what, what's the next step? Right. You know, where does she go from that hallway? I don't right. know. There's no, uh, yeah, no proof. Anyway, so seeing as as we did this so quickly, and we were, we decided no rewrites or anything. Um, if you were going to flesh this out and polish this and you know, submit this for publication, is there anything that you would change or add or expound on? I mean, it's a little tough because honestly, I've read it, I've read it what, like twice? Uh-huh. So once, I read it once for you right after I got done reading it and then I read it again to record it and <laughs> that's it. So I think that probably, so I wanted to, I don't know, probably I would try to strengthen like the continuity between the scenes. I tried to make the scenes radically different, but sort of like the same stuff happening in them. Right. But I really, I don't know this, like this image of, like if you're a lady, like you totally know what I'm talking about. Like I know even dudes like freak out about their hair falling out. But like, if you're a lady, like you can't, go, it's like, you can't go bald. You're a lady, you can't go bald. But <laughs> yeah. even though that's like, that's a thing. That's a thing that happens to women. But um, if you had kids, like, you know, like after like a few months after you have your kid, like your hair starts falling out because all those pregnancy hormones go away. And it's like, it freaks me out every single time. Or like I have real long, real thick hair. Like whenever I pull giant wads of hair 
I, you know, haven't brushed my hair in a few days, and then I wash it, and then it's like you get this giant wads of hair. It always is a little bit unnerving to me, and that's like I really thought that's one thing that I really wanted to have in there is like that that kind of back in the back of your head knowledge, like the nosebleeds and the hair falling out, and just like the fall, the physical falling apart. Yeah, yeah. that I I would want to try to make that a little bit stronger. Another thing that I thought of whenever I was recording it is that I wish. Like all of the other scenes, like the lady is the only one there, and I wish I had left the receptionist out of the business scene. I agree. Yeah. I think that that would have been stronger because she's alone, and so the receptionist kind of sticks out as like, hmm, that doesn't make sense. Why your brains, man? Like it, you know, she's obviously married. She has like the 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 ring tan line or whatever. Why would your brain manifest? And there's two scenes where she's looking for her husband. And he is not there, but it seems like way more likely that you would have a, a manifestation of your husband than this chick that you work with. Right, right. So I think that that doesn't make a ton of sense, even though I didn't really know. Like, I wanted to, I wanted to try to make that seem like a normal, like, every time that it shifted, that except for the last two been, times, yeah. it's like, it was like the whole, like, okay, I woke up. What the hell was going on? Okay, I'm awake now, though. It's cool. And then moving on. Right. But really, yeah. <laughs> it's not okay. Right. Because I've done, like, that's another thing. Like, you know, because I, I tried to, <laughs> I had to take inspiration from myself. And so that's the thing that I have, have had happen a lot is, like, that waking up and, like, oh, okay, everything's cool. But just kidding, you're still in this horrible nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> and obviously, you know, that's, that's a trope in horror movies. Uh, Sorry, mo- I didn't know. Older. No, that's fine. I know. I mean... Uh, even so, like, it's not, it is something that happens, you know, so it's not like, uh, like, oh, you just, you drew the, you're just, you know, using a standard trope, like, this is something that ha- that happens, it, it rarely happens to me, I, I want to say it's happened, like, once or twice to me, but, you know, even, it's happened to me, too, so, it's definitely a thing that happens and is relatable, um, I mean, when it, it, it's scary as hell. I'm not going to lie. You have to, like, completely get up and, like, you feel like you want to get out of the house because you need to see some people because your house is scary <laughs> at night. <laughs> I will say that it's, it's different for me because I never... The, the few times it has happened to me, I always was able to tell. I woke up, I experienced waking up in the dream, but then I... It almost, almost becomes a lucid dream at that point because... It almost reveals itself to be a dream to me. I don't know. I I know that I'm still dreaming. So yeah, know. this is like a whole. Ra- the dreaming is a whole rabbit trail. I could just talk your ear off about that. Like I have lots of, like I'm. If you if you knew me, you'd know I'm kind of well known for having wild, crazy, like super vivid dreams. And so like we could talk. We could have a whole episode of talking about dreaming if you guys ever want to hear about that. <laughs> um, I will say also that. The receptionist, and this is, you'll hear in a minute, you know, this is something that happened in in my story also. I feel like having another person show up is also sort of like a security blanket. You know, finding another person, um, especially in in your story, kind of... It ties it to reality. Yeah, it ties it, yes. And like, and then... And I think that was the wrong that was the wrong choice for my some story. Familiarity, some, right? Yeah, and so like the, everything there. is okay. Yeah, it makes it less scary when there is. I mean, even just like you know, a safety and numbers thing. You know, right. 
There's another person. This is less scary now. But also, yeah. But I did. I will say, I did like her confusion. Like the receptionist is like, "What the hell are you doing here? You know, I'm supposed yeah. to be here." Right. Yeah. That kind of thing. And that is another thing. Like that. I feel like that provided some important information. Like, oh, this lady is apparently sick, you know, or something. Yeah. So. Yeah. So I don't know. I guess. It's hard to say. It is. It is hard to say. <laughs> it served. It served a very important purpose, but it also did a thing that was not necessarily what you want in a horror story. Like the hate, like the hair falling out, the nosebleeds. That could also be like a clue. Hey, there's there's something wrong with this lady. <laughs> well, right, but I mean, all, but also, you know, that's that is kind of a dream thing too. Yeah. You know, where the reader will probably figure out pretty early on. That this is a dream cycle story, you know. I don't know. It's not. They're not. I want to be clear. <coughs> they're not dreams. Right. This is right. like. This is this is what her mind is producing. Is like this is the death throes. Right. So like you have like the physical stuff that happens when you die, but this is the mental, psychological, spiritual, whatever you want to say. This is the, this is the death throes that she's. Her mind is trying to make sense of what's happening, and right, you know, right. and as she's dying. Right. So the reader will probably incorrectly guess early on that this is a, a dream cycle story. Right. Yeah. Because I tried to, uh, another thing, like, one thing I wanted to do was, like, the bleeding. Like, I wanted that to be, like, a constant. So, she, you know, she yeah. blows her nose after she wakes, after she wakes up in her, in her, at her desk. Right. And she's, and, then, and she sees that it's bloody. And so, like, that's just, that happens every single, you know, and that's really tied to, like, the trying to understand question. She starts asking questions. Yeah. And her brain is like, nope. I also kind of like that because the the bleeding, even though it's a nosebleed, the imagery of blood brings to mind not only disease, but uh, this could even be an injury. You know, this could be, you know, the blood keeps happening because, you know, that was... And it's like the easiest way. It's like the easiest way to kind of connect bleeding. It's like you're bleeding from your head, so it's just not like an obvious wound, which you would. I mean, I feel like you would notice or whatever. But the like, maybe this is kind of like a trope. But you know, like um, in movies when they you have someone that's like concentrating really hard, like uh, especially they're trying to move something with their mind or whatever. They have to concentrate really hard or work really hard mentally, and like they have a nosebleed from that. That's yeah, that's yeah. kind of I was trying to make that connection. I don't know if it came across, but I, that's the connection I was trying to make the, between like the the mental. That's why it always came on. Like it comes on whenever she starts questioning. She's like, "What is going on? What is going on? Yeah. Who am I? Where am I? Okay. What's happening?" And she starts her, her nose starts bleeding. Okay, I like that. There's a fairly famous horror movie in cult circles, at least uh, called Scanners, where usually in movies somebody using psychic abilities is it's usually depicted in a very clean way you know the the nosebleed thing is is a trope for that but like when two psychics are battling it out like they both get nosebleeds the veins stand out on on their heads i think at one point even like somebody like blows a vein and like blood runs down their face and it's very uh it's very dramatic yes (laughs) and icky and dramatic but I like the nosebleed because, for what, like, it has that tie to, like, it's close to your brain. Like, it has, if you have a nosebleed, it has nothing to do with your brain, very, like, most likely. <laughs> I'm not a doctor. Yeah. 
But, you know, it's not really tied to your brain, but it's, like, mentally. Like, it's real close. You know, so, like, mentally, that's, like, yeah, the yeah. tie is there. But then, but it's also, like, super normal. People get nosebleeds all the time. I don't personally, but people get nosebleeds all the time. So, it's super normal, super common. Yeah. You just get, people get random nosebleeds. That happens to millions of people. Right. So, it's also, I like, one thing I like about that is, like, oh, it has this super significance in the story, but it's also, like, a, you know. It's also a throwaway thing because it's like people get nosebleeds all the time. It's no big deal. Right. Yeah. But it really is a big deal. Yeah. I, I even <laughs> I've known somebody who who got a nosebleed pretty much every time he woke up. So you know that that's sucks. even yeah I know. But that uh, you know that was even that was part of your story. That's not the first time I've had a nosebleed waking up. Yeah. Well, overall, I uh, I really liked your story. I'm a win. Y'all vote for me. I know it's not a contest, but kind of it is. It's uh, there's not really a prize, but there's it absolutely the, is the prize of winning. Respect. And I know y'all respect me, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, what's the title of your story? Um, Steaming Loaf 1.0. <laughs> I need a real title. My title has <laughs> has significance. Okay. Um, Steaming Loaf. <laughs> I can't think of anything that wouldn't give it away. Like, everything that comes to mind is like... <laughs> How about sliders? Sliders? <laughs> like, tiny burgers? No, like, sliding. Uh, I would give that. I feel, I feel like that's, that's just a little hint, you know? Mine's a hint, too. Yeah, yeah, it is. In fact, I wonder if it's too much <laughs> now that I think about it. If, it's, if it reveals too much, I don't know. I don't think so, just because a lot of people, I mean, I guess if you're a medical personnel or whatever, maybe you would, maybe you associate the word code with coding. I don't know. People yeah. watch a lot of medical dramas. I don't know. I don't know what people do. Yeah. Who knows? I don't think so. We have the benefit. We titled it after you read it. So you, you right. make that connection. But you can tell us. Is the title, is the title name, if you don't like it. It doesn't matter. Like, it's not like I'm going to publish it. So. <laughs> I feel like like the title. The title's it's okay if the title's lame. Like we we threw this together in thirty minutes, right? Yeah. Um. All right. Unstable. Mine's called unstable. There you go. I like that. Claire opened her eyes. The room was pitch black. If it wasn't for the familiar feel of the quilt Mama made for her, keeping her warm, she wouldn't have even known for sure that she was in her own bed. She rarely woke in the night without reason. Something had roused her from sleep, but she wasn't sure what it was. A feeling of unease swept over her, and at first Claire thought it must have been a strange dream and tried to turn over and go back to sleep. But the troubling feeling persisted. Something was wrong. Cautiously, she slipped a foot out from under the covers and dropped it off the side of the bed until it found the floor. Sitting up, the uncanny feeling increased dramatically. It was so strong she nearly called out for Papa, but she stopped herself. He wasn't home. He'd taken Mama into the city that morning to visit Dr. Ross, a day and a half away. They wouldn't be home until supper time on Thursday if all went well. Of course, as unpredictable as Mama's behavior had gotten, Papa might make the journey home alone. Claire looked out the window toward the Grady's place to see if they left a lantern burning on the porch, the way they did sometimes. But all she could see was the black abyss. No moon, no stars, no lantern on at the Grady's place. They must have still been out trying to find old Mr. Peabody's cattle that had mysteriously disappeared a few nights ago. It was a dark night indeed. Stanley felt strange. 
Having just woken up and having no reference point from which to orient herself, it was difficult to get her bearings. She fumbled her way through the impenetrable darkness to the table in her room, where a lantern and tinderbox were kept. She felt along the surface of the table, but found nothing. That was odd. She always kept the lantern there. It was all those damned occult books she liked reading that filled her head with nonsense. But Mama's words kept echoing in her head. It's coming, Claire. It's coming to swallow our family. We ain't safe. The devil's coming to swallow us whole. Visions of demons flashed in Claire's mind, and for a moment, she knew that some unholy force had made her lantern fall off the table all by itself and shatter. But she put it out of her mind. These were the thoughts of a madwoman, or maybe a child. There were no devils on Haywood Farm. Still, how did the lantern fall? It was kept well away from the edge, in the middle of the table. Was the sound of the lantern shattering that woke her? Or was it the thing that broke the lantern that had woken her? An urge to leave her room was beginning to grow. She swept a hand across the sole of her foot until she found the shard of glass that had cut her and pulled it out. Then she walked carefully toward her bedroom door to fetch the lantern from the hallway. It took more effort than usual to get to the door. It was as if something was holding her back. It was almost like trying to walk up a steep hill. Was it fear? Was it the oppressive darkness of this blackest night? Was it the isolation she felt without Mama or Papa or even the light from the Grady's farm letting her know she wasn't the only person alive in the whole world? Or was it something else? Was there some invisible force trying to keep her in her room? Claire shook these thoughts from her mind. It was nothing more than her mind playing tricks on her, and possibly poor sake Mama's confused words were getting to her. She resolutely marched to the door and grabbed the knob, but when she turned it, the door pushed inward and toward her suddenly, almost like someone had been pushing on it from the other side. Claire was startled. She peered into the darkness, trying to make out any sort of form or shape, anything familiar or specifically unfamiliar, but there was nothing but darkness. With her heart pounding, she groped her way along the wall, out of her room, and down the hallway to the lampstand. The lamp was there, securely fixed to the wall, but the small table where the tinderbox was kept was empty. Her foot grazed something on the ground. It was the tinderbox. How had it fallen? Why were all the sources of light seemingly sabotaged? The feeling of paranoia was indeed hard to fight, and Claire swallowed hard, trying to fight back the thoughts of devils in the house, trying to keep her from seeing them. Her trembling fingers found the tinderbox, and she lit the lamp in the hallway. Scanning the now dimly lit passage, she almost anticipated seeing some ghastly, hellish face smiling at her. But when she found herself completely alone, she almost laughed. Mama, you're a cold nonsense can really get to a girl, she thought. Suddenly, a floorboard creaked downstairs. Not a normal house-settling creak, but a long, shuddering, resonating creak that she could almost feel as well as hear. Someone was downstairs. Claire tiptoed to her parents' room where Papa kept his shotgun. The dim light from the hallway lamp made it easier to navigate than her room had been. She hurried to his side of the bed and reached underneath. Her hand met something cold and hard. She gripped it and pulled it out. Papa's tin gauge glinted in the lamplight. She opened the breech and saw two unspent shells ready, one in either barrel. She tiptoed back to the hallway and over to the top of the stairs. Another loud, shuddering creak echoed through the house. This one she felt for sure. The floor planks vibrated under her feet. The wooden beam over her head made a sharp cracking sound. Something very heavy was moving downstairs. Too heavy to be a man. A vision of a huge muscular demon with red glowing eyes in the darkness flashed through her mind. No, Claire thought, don't think that way. 
If there is an intruder, he's merely a man. Perhaps he's trying to steal the big grandfather clock in the entryway. Claire tried to walk cautiously down the stairs, but gasped when she felt something nearly throw her down them headlong. She gripped the banister with her free hand, nearly dropping the shotgun trying to stop herself. No, nothing tried to throw me down the stairs, Claire told herself. I simply lost my balance, that's all. She held tight to the banister as she slowly made her way downstairs. Another long, loud, groaning shudder resonated through the house. Get out of my house, Claire shouted into the darkness below her. I have a shotgun, locked and loaded. Get out while you're still breathing. There was no answer. She scanned the darkness for a moment. Her ears were tuned for any subtle sound. There was no sign of an intruder, but now she was aware of a low, slow, muffled, scraping sound coming from somewhere in the house. Where exactly, she was not certain. At the bottom of the stairs, she was terrified to see that the light from the second floor did not penetrate the abysmal veil of blackness that enshrouded the first floor. Feeling certain that the eyes of the intruder were on her, she shouted again into the darkness. Get out, I've got a gun. There was no response. Claire let loose one of the shotgun rounds as a warning shot. For a brief moment, the muzzle flash illuminated the living room. She hadn't seen an intruder, but now her ears were ringing and she was blinded by the darkness. Sightless and deaf, Claire fumbled her way to the lamp by the front door. She found the lamp in place and secured to the wall like the one in the hallway, but the tinderbox was gone. She felt along the floor but found nothing. She felt the eyes of the intruder on her. She was blind in the darkness, but this thing, not a man but a denizen of hell, could see her perfectly. Her heart pounded. She knew she would feel its diabolical claws tearing into her throat any second. Then she felt it as her hands grabbed the floor, the tinderbox. She hurried to her feet, feeling oddly unbalanced, almost as if she were drunk, struggling to stand upright. She lit the lantern and turned its flame up high. The room lit up and she could see that she was alone, but the uneasy feeling was stronger than ever before. It felt as if she was being pulled against her will toward the front door. The floorboards creaked again. The walls shuddered violently now. She could hear beams cracking and splitting, like the whole house was being crumpled like a piece of paper. She had to get out. Grabbing the doorknob, she flung the front door wide. To her surprise, it threw itself outward as if it had a mind of its own. A chasm of blackness stood before her, and she felt some unseen force trying to throw her into the void. Claire screamed in confusion. What the hell was going on? Then the light from her lamp fell on something outside in the darkness, something long and gangly, snaking its way up toward the sky and hanging low down past the house, way down past the place where Claire stood in her doorway, a tree root. Suddenly, Claire knew what was happening. Her heart pounded harder than ever, and she nearly threw up. Mama's ramblings made sense. Mr. Peabody's missing cows. The idea of being swallowed up by hell itself. Claire ran for the back door. It was her only hope. She dropped the shotgun knowing it was no use to her. That wicked unseen force tugged at her, pulling her back so hell could swallow her whole, but Claire persisted. She pushed herself hard through the dim light. The invisible force grew stronger, pulling her back as hard as it could, but Claire pushed on, practically crawling across the kitchen floor, trying desperately to make it to the back door. The first floor light fell to the ground and shattered. She could barely see anything now. Only the sparse light from the second floor lamp barely illuminated her surroundings. The house groaned loudly as a gaping maw yawned wide to swallow her and the entire house whole. The second floor lamp fell and shattered, leaving her in complete darkness. Claire pushed forward, knowing the back door was close. Her fingers fumbled in the darkness for the knob. 
that invisible diabolical force pulled at her body with all its might. But Claire knew if she let go, even for a moment, she would be swallowed whole. Finally, her hands found the back door, which swung open with such force that she thought it would throw her backwards into the abyss, but she kept her footing. Climbing with all her might, she thrust her body through the back door and onto the ground outside the back porch as the entire house fell horrifically into the sinkhole that consumed it, and it nearly consumed her. Claire ran for the lantern on the Grady's porch with all her might. Alright, so what'd you think? <laughs> <laughs> that bad, huh? It wasn't, it's not bad. <laughs> My big rub with, your, with this story is that I, at the end of it, I was like, WTF, what just happened? I well, did that's, that's a good sign. <laughs> <laughs> like, I didn't get... I didn't get what had ha- what was going on in the house. I was like, is something eating it? Was it, was it a demon? Because you talked about all the demon stuff, and that's, mm-hmm. like, that was what my mom was primed for. Right. That was, and yeah. I missed the big Q that you had in there. Like, whenever... So, like, my God, I got the big Q. The big Q's the tree root that tells you what's happening. But, I mean, it's kind of a little Q. Yeah, I guess it is. It's not as obvious as it, as I felt like it was when I was writing it. But yeah, obviously, if you see a big tree root running from what you think is the sky down to below where you think the ground should be, obviously, your house is facing towards a giant pit. It's, so It's a big indicator, but it's still the demonic spiritual aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Like, that is what I thought was going on. That was kind of the idea. Okay, have we said what was going on yet? What what was happening to the house? It was the house is falling into a sinkhole. Okay. So, uh, what I thought of when I was writing this, obviously, I executed it much more poorly <laughs> than, uh, than the inspiration, but uh, it was to follow the House of Usher by Edgar Allan Poe, where it almost seems like something supernatural is going on. But as it turns out, it's something terrifying for sure, but something perfectly natural is, is actually what is taking place. Right. And. Which Poe, coincidentally, was really great at. He was. Making something normal seem horrifying. Yeah, it was. Probably said something about his mental state or something like that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Similar to the. Follow the house of Usher. The house is in the follow the house of Usher. The house is falling apart. Right. Unless it's falling into a sinkhole. Right. But you know the, I tried to include like some. There's a little bit of backstory that's like folded into there. Yeah. And I like that. I like how you did that. Like the whole. I like the the practical, not crazy daughter. Is like okay. I'm not gonna let her craziness get to me. I really I like that aspect of it. But yeah. then, like, I was like, man, Mama's going to be vindicated. Because <laughs> there's something in this house. Right. Well, yeah, like, obviously, her mom must have had a premonition that this was going to happen. You know, because she had this vision that the that the, the house was going to be swallowed up. You know, it's going to fall into the earth. I didn't catch that. Oh, okay. Okay, I got you. And it's cool, I think, to not completely understand everything when the story closes. Be like, okay, she got out with her life. Like, that was stressful or whatever. I think it's okay to not completely understand it. But then whenever you say, okay, the house is falling into a sinkhole. Like, I just... I just have a hard time believing that you would get out of bed and not be like, there is... My house is not level. What is going on? Like... (laughs) 
Yeah. I mean, especially like that unlevel and. Well, my my thought as I was writing it was that it was it's slowly becoming less and less level, you know, where she's having to practically crawl across the ground at the end is where it's you know it's just about to turn all, loose and yeah it's all just about all the way falling in. Right, but she's on the second story and the windows of her ha- of her bedroom are blacked out. Yeah, that's true. underground. Yeah. So. So that would suggest at least that it's uh, still that it's more it's tilted enough that the lantern fell off and broke. Right. I was like, I don't know. I think I feel like you were way more solicitous to my story, but I think that kind of could be tightened up. Like, you know, if you made the arc a little bit longer, gave more time. Because I guess now that you say that, like the whole the unseen force throwing her down the stairs, like the house is like shuddering into the hole. Right. So that mean that kind of makes more sense now. I was just I was kind of super confused about like what what that was. And then how if you she felt like something threw her down the stairs, but then she's just gonna be like, Nope, it was just me. I just lost my belt. <laughs> I like that to me is a classic horror like everything is fine (laughs) i just need to go into the basement and change a few (laughs) everything's okay (laughs) i was also thinking how like you know when you first get out of bed like you don't have to fall down the stairs whenever you get out of bed (laughs) you should maybe see someone about that (laughs) (laughs) like you know some of the things that help you you know regain your balance is being able to see being able to yeah. orient yourself so but at the same time the she's living in whenever there's no electricity so she would be used to like i don't know what i'm saying like she's not like a different species um <laughs> she but i guess you know she would normally have like the ambient kind of light or whatever and that was missing yeah. Also, she's kind of a bamf. She just steps on this glass and just, like, in the dark, pulls it out and just <laughs> moves on with her life. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, <laughs> that's 1800s life, right? <laughs> I guess. I guess. She might as well just get back in bed. Now I'm going to die from infection. Painkiller was whiskey, you know? <laughs> Glad to be living in the here and now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So if I if I was gonna rewrite it, obviously there there are several things that I would I would rewrite. Um, you know, I really think the big thing is extending the arc out a little bit. Yeah. To where, I mean, I feel like even if she wakes up and then and then the lantern falls, you know, like something like that, you know, so it's not. Like, she maybe wakes up because the house is shimmying or whatever. Like, she gets up, then the house shifts. And then, you know what I mean? So, that way, it's not because, like, her getting out of bed, even the laying in bed and not realizing that your house is so tilted that your two-story windows are underground. That doesn't (laughs) make sense to me. Yeah, that's true. All right, well, if I was going to polish this, I'd maybe put the neighboring house up on a hill or something like that so that it wouldn't have to be tilted down that much. Yeah, you know, maybe she would. She was used to having to like look up a big hill to see the lantern or whatever. Get close to the window and look yeah, out. Yeah. She can't really. She can't see it. She doesn't know what the deal is. Yeah. 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 I mean, those couple of sentences would make it make sense yeah. a little bit more. Also, okay. So, like I, I said in your story, the having the receptionist there is like sort of a security blanket. It kind of breaks up the the tension a little bit. Finding another person. Right. I would have cut out the shotgun. I feel like the shotgun no, serves I, a similar purpose. I don't think so. I disagree. So? No, because that's, I mean, that is normal. Like, she's like, okay, 
this is a normal, this is a normal break-in. Like, this is a normal, like, I've got to defend the property. Like, this is, you know, this is what I do. I mean, she's not getting, like, a, a rosary or, you know what I mean? Like, she's getting a shotgun. Because yeah. Everything is fine. There is no demon. I'm going to figure out what is going on. And I'm gonna meet. I'm gonna meet it with a shotgun. I think. I think that's. I disagree completely. I think that 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 is. I think she should. She should have that. Okay. Well, and I like. Okay. I also like the thing of like. Whenever she shoots it and she sees the bright flash and then she feels more blind. Yeah. Like that. Oh, that was a mistake. Right. <laughs> I like that too. I think that's yeah. a good part of it. Yeah. Because you know, whenever you have a quick flash and then you're like, and then you don't. You don't see anything, but you know that you it was so fast that you couldn't... Yeah, you could have done something. Yeah, you couldn't yeah. take everything in that was going on. And so now you're even more... You know you're even more blind. And so it's yeah. it's even scarier. You're like, might as well just keep my eyes closed and just yeah, let whatever. Yeah. She's very persistent. Yeah. I like that about her. I like her. She's very... she's She has some cojones. I, I like strong characters. Yeah. I feel like that the character... It's really interesting to me that... The, like our two stories together is that my my character seems kind of like a sissy it's very interesting so where how does this fit into the dread terror horror thing where how does yours because you, you talked a little bit about mine so uh, well i mean obviously most of it is um for the majority you don't know what's going on again similarly to yours i think it's funny that there are a lot of similarities between our stories but similarly to yours for the majority of it you don't know what's going on and you know the reveal is in the last couple of seconds or the last couple of lines i just don't feel like that yours has a big reveal at all it needs to be more obvious i guess that it was falling into i mean i guess i did i did state it the house is falling into the sinkhole at the very end i should have had something else in there like watching the house tumble down under the you know the the moonlight illuminating the house as it falls down into the yeah. or whatever. Did the thing about the cows make sense at all? I mean... The missing cattle? No, because, like, I don't understand why the cow... Are, are there other sinkholes that they're yeah, so, in the area? or something? You know? Like, I don't know why they wouldn't have found them. Yeah, so that part was actually inspired from an actual thing that happened. I was considering for one of the weird and unusual events from history episodes that we're planning to do more of in the future, where uh, like a head of like 300 cattle went missing. And there was this, there was this, this huge search to try and figure out what you know what happened to them. Who who was able to steal like three hundred cows at once? And really, what it turned out was that there was a big open space opening underneath the the land, and cows are heavy, so they were a lot of them just like plopped through the earth. Um, That's crazy as hell. Yeah, eventually, <laughs> when a big sinkhole opened, they found a bunch of dead cows down there. So that's what happened to the cows. But I guess if you haven't ever read that story, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So that, yeah, yeah that's another thing. That that's I what I was just like, oh, okay, there's cows missing. Like, here's an extraneous detail. Like, you know. Yeah. But I didn't think it was weird necessarily because, I mean, like, you think random stuff and you're like you're like oh then maybe they're not home yet even though i don't know why they would come home because like can you imagine searching for a cow and you're like on your 150 acres of ranch land plus with a lantern <laughs> <Yeah>. at night <laughs> that doesn't seem productive to me 
but yeah yeah that's true especially with, like I, I never said what year it is or anything but I mean you have to assume it's probably the 1800s yeah yeah there wasn't a lot of searching for anything in the dark so yeah I mean there's there's a lot of stuff that I would have polished up if I was gonna try to submit this but for a piece of flash fiction well my vote is that yours won for that I mean obviously <laughs> I'm always gonna vote for myself so yeah well, I think uh, I think my listeners will probably agree with you, but we'll uh, we'll put the poll up on the Facebook page anyway. And uh, if you want to chime in and tell me that mine was actually better, I appreciate you for uh, for humoring me. Are you gonna put them on like on your website or something like that? People want to read them. Uh, yeah, I'll see if I can figure. Out. Oh, put the stories on the website. Yeah, I'll do that. Yeah, I'll put the stories up on the website on um, my yeah. Uh, edwardvillanova.com website and um, I'll put a link on the Facebook page too alright well I had fun doing this did you? yep I mean I the last fiction that I wrote was absolutely the the, mon- the book of monsters yeah so that's really that's really it I mean I write a lot of academic if anybody else is in, is in college you know you feel my pain, but yeah, I write a lot of academic work. Yeah. And that's pretty much it. Yeah, well, we're not done with the Book of Monsters yet. I know, because I've been writing academic work. I know. I'm almost done with college, though, y'all. So. <laughs> Props. Yay. That was fun. Maybe we'll do it again in the future. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see y'all next time. I'll put a poll up on the Eddie V's Horror Show Facebook page so you can vote on who wrote the better story. So head on over there and vote, and feel free to leave your feedback either there or on my website, edwardvillanova.com contact. My recommendation for this episode, once again, is Steaker's Quarterly Fiction. Folks, go check out this publication. They're one of the longest-running speculative fiction literary magazines in the UK, and these guys are truly devoted to the magazine and the craft of short story writing. I've said it before and I'll say it again. These magazines help keep the short story format relevant and really provide an opportunity for authors who are new on the scene and just trying to get their work out there. I'll put a link to the magazine in the show notes. Thanks again for listening. If you liked what you heard, please consider leaving me a review on whatever podcast platform you listen on. The positive reviews and high star ratings really help me out. So this has been episode number 13. Stay tuned for episode 14, hopefully dropping in the next week or so. Don't forget to vote for your favorite story on the Facebook page. And as always, stay creepy. Thanks for listening. If there's a topic you'd like to hear about or a work of horror you'd like to hear reviewed, be it a movie, book, game, or TV show, I'd love to hear from you. Send me an email at elvillanova00 at gmail.com. Check out my WordPress site to read more horror and writing topics or to read through rough transcripts of the show. You can find that at edwardvillanova.wordpress.com. Lastly, you can follow me on Twitter at edwardvillanova.com.